Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are comparing two albums, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, and Jane's Addiction's Nothing Shocking. And, and frankly, I'm not 100% sure where these two albums came, wow, how this whole thing came to bear. So, Christian, do you mind explaining? Yeah, uh, basically, you guys were, were texting back and forth on the on the chain, you know, where we discuss music every day, and uh, you were singing the many praises of, of Nothing Shocking. Uh, many of which I agree with and some of which I don't. Um, but I was feeling kind of combative, and I like the album Siamese Dream more. So um, I basically uh, I basically said it was a better album, and that led to a, a long and uh, heated debate about which one of these is actually uh, is actually better. So we figured we would just square off on the pod. Christian fired a confetti shot across the bow, and we're uh, going to settle it. Did. <laughs> yeah, sort of a, a musical towel fight. <laughs> James E. Um, is a god. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I am curious to, you know, because you did take sort of a, a, a decided stance um, for one over the other, Siamese Dream over um, uh, Nothing Shocking. And to me, they're, you know, it's sort of like a Five Guys Shake Shack in an out burger kind of debate where, you know, once you've, once you've stopped attempting the zero-sum game of, you know, which one sucks, you kind of sit back and you're like, you know what, they both taste pretty good. So I'd love to know what it is that... that uh, riles you about nothing shocking versus uh, Siamese Dream, and, and conversely, what you think is so much better about Siamese Dream than nothing shocking? Well, I think uh, I think for me, it's it's really about consistency, um, and you know, I I think we've we've talked about uh, uh, not, uh, nothing shocking has you know, in my opinion, actually the best song on either album in, in Ocean Size, um, which is just a, an absolutely sort of roaring or you know, perfect like arena rock anthemic. Um, uh, terrific tune um, with just wailing guitar solos, um, but at the end of the day, you know I think the guitar work is is as good and more more consistent. Um, you know with uh, with a stronger selection of a half dozen songs that I really really like um, on on Siamese Dream. In addition to that, I would say there is actually a section of Nothing Shocking that I basically find unlistenable, um, and. Uh, then there's another good song or two, and then there's another section that I find unlistenable. So I mean, my, my problem is basically, you know, it's it's much more uh, it's much more uneven. Um, it has incredible highs, uh, but the lows are like really tough for me to for me to digest. I mean, I guess that one of the things that I find interesting about the the you know you're choosing these two albums is um, I, I'm thinking I'm thinking for you um, that they kind of arrived uh, as a as a package to you. Whereas, uh, you know, for me, Jane's Addiction and Siamese Dream are almost different eras. Jane's Addiction uh, coming out in 88 and Siamese Dream coming out in 93. Well, that's, um, that's definitely, just, I mean, that's definitely, good. like, that's a fair point. Um, again, like, this, this was not necessarily the most thought-out attack. Uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a guerrilla surprise attack, perhaps. Um, but, you know, what it really... Well, that, I mean, yeah, they were five years apart. And if I think about anything that's five years apart these days, it's, it's going to be difficult for me to reconcile those two things and, and really hold them side by side. But at the same time, you know, it is, it is uh, I think, significant that these albums basically had adjacent radio play for me growing up. Um, and so by the time I was aware of them, both of them were at least, well, I mean, okay, so by the time I was aware of them, let's say I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, something like that, um, yeah. and both of them had been out for five years. Uh, one well, had been out thinking, for 10 was, years, one had been out for five years. Well, I was thinking, it, you know, just to contextualize it a little bit, um, you know, for me, this was, uh, Jane's was freshman year of college, um, Siamese Dream was my first year out of college, whereas for you, 
uh, James, James was the year birth. you were born. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Simon's Dream was the year I think you, my you fir- were My first year of kindergarten. <laughs> You're finally able to whine and complete sentences or complete <laughs> sentences. Chair, where were you 88, 93? I don't well, remember. Well, 88 I would have been in uh, elementary school. So I was introduced to, to Jane's Addiction probably a little later. And I think when you actually had the debut um, X live album, so I heard that first and got into that and then got Jane's Addiction, uh, Nothing Shocking, so, and, and really liked it right away. I mean, to me, you know, I don't know, it's funny. When Christian was talking about Smashing Pumpkins, it sounds like a Joe Santriani, like, uh, guitar magazine review versus an album that I, I think is really pretty consistent. I mean, I think there's really probably one song that I don't want to listen to anymore on Nothing Shocking. And, and I, I guess, too, for the time period that this album came out, I like to put things in kind of time and place. There was nothing like this. It was, it was a weird mix of, like, Led Zeppelin-style rock, you know, psychedelia, some folk, um, bad attempts at jazz, we can say. But Don't like, forget the jazz instrumentals. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was interesting. They were interesting. They were very, like, druggy, underground L.A. And, and there was, a, I mean, I think them and Guns N' Roses probably had the most hype at that time as bands that were going to really shake up a pretty boring and lame hard rock scene. For Pumpkins, I was actually in high school, and I was a big Gish fan when it came out, their debut album. And, uh, you know, love that record. It, it blew me away. I think when you said fully formed, perfect description. I mean, that band just was bigger and, and sounded bigger right away than, than most of the stuff I was listening to at the time. And Siamese Dream, you know, kind of took that to the next level. You know, I, as much as I'll, I'll joke about it during this pod, it was an album that I, I was a huge fan of in, in high school and, and, uh, and listened to constantly and, and got to see them live um, off that tour. And uh, mm-hmm. I think... You know, it was basically Billy Corgan and the drummer playing and the other two uh, with their volume down. But it was, a you know, a great show. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, for me, I mean... The whole thing was basically Corgan going nuts with uh, with Jimmy Chamberlain and Butch Vig on the, yeah. on the breaks, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think the cool thing, when, and we were kind of talking about this pod and joking back and forth, you know, I got sort of defensive over the Jane's Addiction album when... when Christian snapped his towel. Because you're stupid. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it got it got really really petty for a few minutes on uh, on, on text earlier today. So, but we, um, you know, I think what was funny is when we were thinking about this pod was just it kind of brought up some other topics too, and and one of those yeah. being, you know, both these bands were hugely ambitious and, and came from underground scenes, sort of like they dipped their toe in the underground scene, and then immediately were launched into into stardom. Both, you know charismatic you know lead singers or at least one's a control freak the other ones you know i guess both were control freaks a freak yeah both had amazing drummers and and huge sound so you know i'd like to kind of chat on that before we go into the albums and and you know prove that jane's addiction nothing shocking is indeed better well i think it's it's weird i actually saw i mean i I, this is uh my opportunity to say i actually saw jane's addiction you know very early on um my freshman year of college, I, uh, I knew there was a couple of guys that I knew uh, in my freshman year. They were also freshmen, but they were in their early 20s um, because they had been in a band called Dag Nasty down in uh, Washington, D.C., and then come up to Massachusetts to go to college. And they had a, a second band um, that I don't think had a lot of lasting power. Called, I think it was called the Blood Bats, um, but they were opening for Jane's. And so everybody from my dorm hallway went to see um, them open, and then Jane's Addiction was the band that they were opening for. So had the opportunity to see them in, in very small venues, and it was very apparent. Uh, I saw them at TT the Bears in Boston, and Pearl Street in Northampton. 
it was very apparent from the get-go that uh, these guys were not made for a small room. And it was, I mean, because of that, it was an awesome show. Um, you know, each one of these venues holds about 250 to 400 people. And, um, you know, it just, it, these guys were supposed to be, uh, right from the get-go, were supposed to be playing, um, you know, hockey arenas. Um, well, this was another, I mean, it wasn't, um, yeah, I, I don't want to suggest that it was it was like a, a contrivance or that it was like, you know, a, a group that was sort of, um, put together sort of externally or like put together by a label or something like that. But I mean, Perry Farrell was a lot older than the other guys, right? Totally. And, um, it was, uh, I, I had, you know, doing my research, going back and and looking at this, I actually had a a sort of a fun take on it, which is that, you know, Perry, both of these bands sort of dipped their toe, like Jared said, dipped their toe in the underground scene. So sort of collected enough credibility, but really were always more ambitious, I think. Than, um, but it was than it, any of the it was under, almost like they enter they entertained the underground briefly because they knew it made for a better story later. <laughs> exactly. Well, they, I was I was just gonna say I think Perry Perry Farrell to me is the David Lee Roth of indie rock um, in many ways. I mean, he really is a showman a, more than a musician. He is an entertainer more than a singer, and he was a great frontman as a result. As was David Lee Roth. Um, you know, they sort of shared that same thing of just knowing how to work every element of it. Um, I think, you know, partially it was the age for Perry Farley was 30 when Jane's hit, but I mean, he was just, he was so, so good with the press, so good at manipulating, you know, the press and their image and everything about it. And I think he found, um, you know, the story goes, he, you know, he met Eric Avery, the bass player, Eric Avery's sister was dating Stephen Perkins and so they said they got Stephen Perkins to be the drummer, and Stephen Perkins was friends with Dave Navarro, and those guys were like twenty, or nineteen or twenty years old when this was coming together. So they really were falling under the um, the leadership of somebody who had a, a much greater idea and greater vision. On the flip side of that, um, when they went to negotiate their contract with Warner Brothers, which was uh, at the time I believe one of the biggest advances, one of the biggest signing bonuses in the history of the record industry. Um, and, uh, Perry Farrell, uh, threatened to walk out if he didn't get 50% of the songwriting and publishing, um, leaving the other band members, uh, with 12.5% each. Um, so right from the get go, he kind of fucked them over. And that's uh, a lot of the reason that the band only lasted, uh, two albums in about three years before they fell apart and, you know, had to yeah. come back in various, you know, incarnations later. Plus, um, I mean, you have to take into account here that it's not like he could make a serious case that he was the uh, genius virtuoso musician who was behind, you know. Um, he was, he, but he was the visionary. I'll give him that. I mean, there was yeah. there would be no Jane's Addiction without that guy. No, and, but Dave Navarro you know, would have found his feet. He would have found his feet, but and yeah, I'm sure they all would be. But you know, a lot of times you don't you don't find the the ticket to you know automatic you know to start him. I mean, a lot of these guys. Yeah, of course. Well, I, Dave I know Navarro didn't know that he like he probably didn't know that he was going to be massively famous at the age of 19 or 20, and so when this opportunity was put in front of him, he took it. I mean, it's yeah, it's I, fair. It's yeah, just, I know plenty of great musicians that yep. didn't make it um, by virtue of not finding their Perry Farrell. So um, well, that said, I think I think um, their you know Perry Farrell vision. Yeah, I, I just think um, you know both of these bands were wildly ambitious and wanted to be big, and that was some somewhat frowned upon in the in the well, it's, more so even when the Pumpkins came out. So, Jared, what yeah, was no, that? I was gonna say I was gonna flip that over to the Pumpkins, who were a band that you know obviously was to your point hugely ambitious and, and kind of paid for it a little bit in the underground scene, and they were a band that 
you know, came from Chicago, Chicago suburbs. At the time, was a very hot music scene with the Cocktails, um, you know, uh, Liz Fair, Urge Overkill, and kind of the Wicker Park uh, bands going on. And, and the Pumpkins were always kind of left out of that scene. And I think, you know, because they had that sort of, like, we are going to be huge. Um, and they're a band that throughout the early 90s, indie rock bands constantly, you know, made fun of and, and, and you know, sort of... Uh, they were the poster child for, for quote-unquote sellout, and, and that was... Yeah, they were punching you know. bag. And I also think, unlike Jane's Addiction, especially when we were much bigger. I mean, Jane's Addiction, we look back on as a huge band. They were not that big. Nothing Shocking was a, a very critically acclaimed album and was also an album that I think, you know, people probably, they get more credit than, say, the Smashing Pumpkins, who were, you know, very, you know, great band. But, like, that, I mean, Jane says in all those songs were not on the radio when that album came out. Well, I have to say, uh, like, Been Caught Stealing, which was a couple years later, was a big hit. Jane says was not, I mean, it was a big hit in the, in the underground and the college, you know, ranks in well, modern rock radio. But it, it took, you know, 10 years for that to get, but it now is thought of as being sort of in the classic rock canon. It, it would get played alongside U2 and Bob Seger on, on rock radio stations, but it really wasn't there um, in its own time. Well, so I, I think, wanted... I mean, this is, this is sort of the, this is partly the basis for how these things came to be compared in this podcast, right? Which is that like, um, you know, by the time I'd heard both of them, I, you know, these bands are very similar to me, partly because I think sonically, like they, they have, a, you know, partly just because they have these um, massive rising and falling uh, guitar solos, um, incredibly powerful uh, and, and technically precise drumming. Um, you know, those are, those are important, uh, important components for sure. Um, I'd say the vocals on pumpkins are definitely, you know, it's more, it's more about a mood than thankfully it is about the words themselves. Um, but, uh, but in, you know, the case of Jane's, obviously they had a better, uh, a better front man, but they also had better specialization across the board because they had multiple people doing multiple things, whereas Corgan was trying to do it all. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but, but by the time I heard these things, yeah, they were right next to each other on the radio. And it made perfect sense, by the way. Like, there's no reason that, that Oceanside shouldn't be put up next to Cherub Rock on, uh, you know, on a, on a clear channel or, or like a corporate radio broadcast. Not one bit, you know? And, and so even if it did take more time for them to sort of... Um, uh, you know, at, at, to to find themselves sort of sitting next to each other, I think in in um, like uh, in media space or whatever, um, you they know, belong together. Yeah, exactly. They were they were destined to be together. Um, so, well, it it is funny because c- crawling out of the the sort of it wasn't even the ashes of of hair metal. I mean, Jane's Addiction arrived in the in sort of the middle of it. So you know, the two uh, I think you know sort of uh, what do you what would you call them pre uh, what are the what are the preambles to, to earthquakes called as opposed to aftershocks. I mean, some of the tremors that were, were you know, uh, that led to the sort of uh, earthquake that sunk hair metal were, you know, were Jane's Addiction and Guns N' Roses um, in subsequent years. And then ultimately the, the big earthquake was uh, Nirvana. Um, and then subsequent to Nirvana really um, was... Smashing Pumpkins. I mean, Nirvana was the reluctant superstar. I think Smashing Pumpkins was the willful superstars. Um, uh, obviously, they had the same producer who created the same, you know, incredibly clean and precise production that I think really aids um, the Smashing Pumpkins sound. I mean, they are really what, I, to me, what the Smashing Pumpkins are is the Boston of the 90s. 
um, you know, something where uh, they've got a, a, you know, sort of megalomaniac frontman and a really uh, populous sound. And it's not, a, I'm not saying either one of those things is a bad thing. I mean, I love A Siamese Dream. I love the first Boston album. But to me, that's really the, the sort of parallel was um, when I heard them for the first time, I was like, this is, you know, this is a great rock album. Yeah, no hair is out of place either. Yeah, not on the not on the recordings. No, I, I guess when I went back and listened to it um, today, uh, in the last couple of days, the only thing that you know, you know, nudged me a little bit is that there are a lot of the song. I mean, other than Billy Corgan's lyricism, which we can touch on later, which drives me up a fucking wall. Um, I was more that the, you know a lot of the songs kind of sonically sound the same. Well, let's get into that uh, after a short break. What do you think? Sounds good. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are talking uh, about two albums and their place in history, uh, Nothing Shocking by Jane's Addiction and Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins. Um, here too, for I would not really put the two together, but Christian, um, you know, in, in catching up later, uh, had a steady diet of both at the same time and, and sort of conflates the two. So... Um, we, you were talking about the scenes that, that both of these bands came out of, and I just wanted to quickly say that, you know, for me, growing up in the 80s, um, you know, there was, a, there was a movement, you know, Jeremy was saying there's, there was a sort of a hot scene uh, per every couple of years. It went from Athens, Georgia, to Minneapolis, to um, Boston, and um, the late, you know, mid to late 80s, and then... Um, Jumping forward, I mean, Chicago was pretty hot in the early 90s. So um, it's it's funny that you don't think of, of the Smashing Pumpkins as having a place. No, uh, I, I don't. I mean, it's very hard for me. To, like, you know, it's not to say that they – look, everybody's from somewhere, right? Um, but but really that they, you know, as, as 
you guys mentioned a few minutes ago, they, they dipped their toe in their local scene, but it was almost like with grander ambitions from day one. And I think, you know, um, in, in this case, both of these bands to me, um, like by the time I was hearing them in the late nineties and, and early two thousands, really, um, were, uh, were sort of, they were bigger than any one place. I mean, and part of that was probably the fact that they received such broad commercial airplay, um, across the country, uh, and, you know, unlike a, unlike a group like Nirvana, where, you know, they obviously were huge, but they were, you know, they existed for a relatively short period of time, um, and, uh, and then sort of disappeared before they ever, let's say, moved away from Seattle to New York or LA or wherever. Um, you know, these guys, uh, let's remember, stuck around to make Zwan and whatever the hell that, uh, uh, yeah, I know. Um, Porn you know, over Pyros. Zwan yeah, oh, sounds God. like the first name of a magician. But even even the post Porno for Pyros, what was the uh, what was the Pets name of that was probably one of the worst song Pets. It was like it really it was, was such a bad one of the worst song. songs ever. Yeah. The 2002 single with Perry Farrell, like you know, and his leather face stretched back over his skull. Um, See, I don't, I don't even like. I, I mean, it, I. It doesn't matter if I don't acknowledge it. I know it exists, but like, I don't remember any of that stuff. I remember yeah, that they did a reunion tour, but I. Called, I didn't even know was, they had I, albums after uh, Ritual. I didn't really. I mean, I kind of did, but I. I just it was. It was pretty easy to disregard those facts because they didn't make any. Nobody in the world. Nobody who was a fan ever bought them. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they were same, the same with the door. I think by the pumpkins. <laughs> Um, no, but I mean, that was the thing is it was like, they were, you know, they, they were these bands with these sort of hulking reputations and, and status and, uh, and they were still putting stuff out. And so it wasn't the new record by this massive band. And like, you know, if you're 12 with that, you don't know the difference. No, I, you go I, out and I, I get it and you, you listen to it and you're like, wow, this kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> And you know that that was really yeah that was that was the issue was sort of trying to understand sort of where these guys fit together because they were again they they fit together right next to each other they didn't have a clear identity that was linked to their that was linked to geography um, mm-hmm. by the time I heard them. Well, it's also I think you were there for the fall of Rome. I mean, it was you you know your youth was really the decline and fall of commercial radio and the decline and fall of, of record labels, our major, you know, sort of major label dominance. So it was, you know, you were getting the worst of both at the tail end of it, which was a survival mechanism of, um, you know, uh, labels like Warner Brothers putting out new Jane's Addiction albums as if they were, you know, an event and that was worth, a, you know, being part of. And that really, you know, the, the hype machine in full on full blast for something that really didn't merit uh, it in any artistic sense. Yeah, no, and it's a, a it is it be. is a chicken. I mean, it is a sort of chicken or egg thing, right? It's like were they getting so lazy that that precipitated? I mean, that 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 contributed to their sort of you know decline, um, or or were they in fact uh, scrambling and looking for anything and repackaging anything because they were already in decline? And I think it's probably a mixture of both. Well, um, both. The rest yeah. of Jane's addiction just needs some cash after Perry screwed them <laughs> off the first two albums. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a, like a chicken and egg combo dish. 
Um, but yeah, I think if, if we're, one thing is for you know for for certain through Perry Farrell's career is that he's not afraid of a cash grab. I mean, this is a guy. I mean, I and you know I'm happily happily um, so he, he you know this is a guy that created Lollapalooza and really you know profited fairly you know very heavily from you know creating the American version of the uh, of you know what had historically been European thing the you know the festival and of well, course, which uh, the, was the, the farewell Duncans. tour for. Uh, Jane's Addiction, the first farewell tour. Yes, and a huge stage for the Pumpkins throughout their career. Yep, absolutely. And when and I saw the Pumpkins in Pittsburgh, PA at Lollapalooza. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and then we uh, got get, we got really excited, uh, uh, left the show, and and uh, decided in a very silly state to uh, drive to South Carolina. That's right. Well, so let's dig into the like the the sonic qualities of these albums for a minute. I mean, I, I think like, you know, we've, we've touched on it. Like, obviously, Corgan and, and Chamberlain were really the, the two sort of driving forces on, on Siamese Dream. I mean, it is so polished, so tight. Uh, Corgan, of course, playing every instrument, multi-tracking them. Um, Chamberlain playing drums throughout. Um, and then, you know, on the other side, you've got like, I, I have to say personally, as somebody who grew up like a huge Led Zeppelin fan, um, I love Navarro's guitars, like his style. Um, you know, he just has these like, these great, huge, like bluesy bends that he like uses to, to kick off a lot of his solos, like Oceanside is a perfect example of that. Um, and that really does harken back to Jimmy Page, who just like had this incredible command and like versatility within, within that sort of like blues rock space. Or yeah, he was a great player. And I, you know, it's funny because I, I go back to 88 and, you know, what I was predominantly listening to was Pixies, Dinosaur, Sonic Youth. Um, I'm sure there was, you know, probably uh, um, a smattering of, of old Chili Peppers in there and stuff. But, um, you know, I was I was thinking uh, now having, you know, so poo-pooed the hair metal thing, which I, I still do, but there's so much of that sort of Ibanez... Uh, BC Rich kind of PV guitar playing um, that or that sound. It's such a metal sound that comes out of the super Clark's clean guitar. guitar. You know what it, yeah, you know what it kind of is actually. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to think about like how I characterize this. One of the questions that I always ask myself when I'm listening to music now is, what's going to be classic rock in 25 years? And it's like the second you hear either of these things, you can tell right away that they're going to be classic rock. Like they are going to be, you know, of their era. Um, and there's sort of a timelessness about it. Like it's it's an updated version. It's not it's not classic rock in the sense that like um, you know Jet came out with an album in 2003 that like you know Get Born, which like literally was just remaking sort of the ACDC. Right, exactly. Um, it's not like it's not paraphrasing um, something that closely it's it's a it's it's as i said it's an updated or refreshed it's a reinterpretation it. yeah but it, yeah. it is there's no question it is like a very uh like middle of the road and i don't mean that in a bad way but like or you know a common denominator sort of version of rock and roll it's like it's well, intended it's, no, it, for the it's made for the masses yeah it's it's a yeah. i mean with an interesting twist which is that you know i think both bands but i'll speak to the jane's addiction album you know, you did have Perry Farrell up there with dreadlocks, sort of androgyny, and you know, being the first video I ever saw, I think, was Ocean Size or Mountain Song. I can't remember which the video Jesus, is. He had dreadlocks, and they mm-hmm. make out. It's him and Dave Navarro making out in the beginning of the video, which sounds like whatever. You know, that's like showmanship. But back then, it was it was actually kind of shocking. You know, you just, just didn't see that. Easy. Yeah, and but on Jeremy, that banger's ball. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, my point. Um, but even you know, I, I the think album too. Art too. 
Yeah, even which is all... Your, even calling your album Nothing Shocking is great. You yeah. know, I mean, there's nothing that this guy couldn't sell. You know? And also, I do remember in real time people referring to it like, this is, this is our Zeppelin. You know, this is a new Zeppelin. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have the staying power or the gravitas to, to even be entertained as a, as a serious consideration in that regard. But it felt but, like it in the moment. Yeah. But... But also coming from indie rock, you know, this was a band that was pretty damn good at playing, you know, was grand in their vision and and wanted to be huge. Yeah, as much as we love the Pixies, which were around, you know, came out the same year. They're not for everybody, you know, and and uh, yeah. I think they've you know people. Bone machine was not going to be a football <laughs> exactly, stadium, yeah. you know. No, but on, that's, on the that's, flip that's side, right. I mean, we've talked about we've talked about this, and I think a different context is like the the very the very like the guitar solo itself as like a as a piece mm-hmm. of music was something that you know Dino embraced, but like that was weird for the indie world, and it's true. I mean, at the time, it just wasn't something that anybody was doing, and both these bands were just like. I mean, these guys were like shred masters, and they knew it, and they wanted to show it off because it's awesome. <laughs> you know, there's and nothing I, yeah. to be afraid of there. I think, you know, I, your complaint on Nothing Shocking, Christian, correct me if I'm wrong, is, you know, the songs that are, are kind of annoying, like Ted just admitted, that goes on and on, and, and, and you know, some of the, like, flourishes of funk and, and horns and things like that. But again, like, I, you know, I kind of put it in context of when I heard the album or when it came out and, and which would be impossible for you to do. But it's, it's, you know, it's just experimentation at that point. So it was, I thought it was, you know, interesting enough yeah, that it not, was I'm where I think... I'm not wholesale opposed to experimentation. <clears throat> Sorry to cut you off. I mean, I'm not whole, whole, uh, wholesale sort of opposed to that. I mean, I think the Chili Peppers did it really well and they did even weirder stuff with like funk and jazz and like, you know, Mellowship, Slinky b major or whatever like i mean they they had all kinds of that stuff um i just don't think it's done very well here by the by the way flea is the is the horn player on this album i was gonna say they're they're all buds <laughs> the flea, can do flea and, uh, angelo Moore. he's a great trumpet well, and player. on the flip um, side for the pumpkins where you know to me everything's just a little too polished but that album rocks and the problem with that album yeah. for me somebody who, who you know was there in the prime is the songs that that don't rock were the ones that were just and I, I mean that album Cherub Rock is one of the best opening tracks ever. I mean that song's rips and then goes you know, it goes into you know many more ripping songs on that album. But but I had to hear Disarm I think every other minute and that song is to me you know almost I mean I, it doesn't ruin that album because going back and listening to it it really is it, it's a great album that stands up. But I mean that album did ru- that song did ruin that album for me for many years. Yeah, I have a lot harder time with the break up, you know, the the breaks that are Disarm and Space Boy and even today, which I wasn't a huge fan of, um, rather than anything on on Jane's Addiction as far as as stifling a flow. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that, that's what it boils down to, because for me, I just Ted just admitted standing in the shower thinking and even summertime rolls, um, you know kill me uh and i i would add actually that i'm not I, I, jane says for me just doesn't just doesn't do it it's it's so it means something it's different so, to you yeah, yeah it's like i just don't like that song very much at the time know? i mean it was a, it, i mean and it still is i think it's a really well-written story song and and uh um i don't think know, i've ever listened to the story in it you know oh really yeah it's it's, it's, uh, it's worth checking out they actually have a oral history of jane's addiction and so it was like a the name comes from a, a, a prostitute named Jane who was addicted to heroin. And, and so oh, yeah, song no, I is, guess I do remember yeah, that story. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, you know, standing in the shower, less so, but, you know, Ted just admitted it, it was, I guess, you've, you know, we're talking experimental. I don't think it was that musically experimental. I think, though, the, the lyrics were sort of contentious and 
um, edgy for the time. And I can Bundy. see where that one that could lose its. I, I obviously that loses its edge. Um, you know, as you creep on 10, 20, 30 years now, um, which yeah. means that you're almost thirty. Um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, and, and no, I get, I get that the lyrics are better. Um, but purely just as, as like, uh, by the way, both of the, both of these groups, I think it's worth pointing out are like masters of melody. Um, I mean, they mm-hmm. really do, they really, you know, shape songs well and, and sort of like, um, you know, uh, they're structured very well, I think. And then, you know, have terrific melodies and like for very like infectiously, you know, in a weird way, like you get them stuck in your head, I think. Um, but, uh. But no, I mean, I you know the lyrics are, are sort of that's fine. I'll I'll, I'll concede those to nothing shocking. Um, but I also think it's half a good album. That said, when I was when I was planning uh, planning my my argument, um, obviously Your very assault. obviously very uh, uh, haphazardly, um, I did actually like splice the two albums and go you know track one, track one, track two, track two. Um, and, and make a playlist that way. Um, and it occurs to me there is one hell of a split seven inch here um, <laughs> like that, that never got made, but that's... Uh, Jane's Pumpkins. Yeah. Jane's Pumpkins would be, Jane. The, would, be the name of, uh, <laughs> would be the name of that band, yeah. Uh, actually, speaking of, I think Smashing Pumpkins has got to go down. It's one of the worst uh, band names in history, and, and this is probably a story for another pod because I think... Uh, well, we will do at some point. Great bands, terrible names, and terrible bands, great names. But uh, they, they're, they're, they're top five as far as I'm concerned. The shittiest names of all time. There are bands too that I think gets unfairly uh, criticized. Mind. Yeah, I mean those first, and even the double album, the Melancholy, whatever that came out after this one, has some great. I mean, one of my favorite Pumpkin songs actually. I love that song, 1979, and. Uh, but I think, you know, Gish and, and um, Gish is like almost forgotten. Nobody ever gives that album any credit. And then Siamese um, Dream, you know, too, I think, because of some of the bigger singles and, and just doesn't get as much credit as it deserves. It was funny going back. I was very adamant when we first started this argument that you've you got to be kidding me. Like, Smashing Pumpkins can't even be in the same room with Jane's Addiction. And then going back and listening to this album that I was so familiar to me back when I was... A teen, I was like, oh, absolutely, you know. <laughs> so just, yeah, it's great. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really wonderful to hear Jeremy finally come around to my side of this and, and not that it's better, that it's just good. And can see. I just that well, I have, the church uh, bells in disarm <laughs> bring me to tears every time. So no, that's well, right. I, I it reminds see. you of yeah, church bells. Um, <laughs> but I do think that I think it's funny because one of the you know one of the dividing lines uh, to me is, as far as listenership went is. Um, you know, the Triple X album, particularly Jane's Triple X album, I had on cassette. I don't think I had CDs yet. And then, nothing shocking, I had on cassette and then CD. Um, Siamese Dream, I had on CD. So I could skip Disarm much more easily than having to fast forward and guess where the, um, you know, where the cassette, uh, where the song divider was. Um, you know, I could just hit uh, skip and that you know this is a problem that Christian has never encountered in his entire life but you know this is when you're driving and you can hit skip as opposed to actually trying to fast forward and hit the mark where your next song starts um, I was able to do that with uh, Siamese Dream no it's and, uh, 
It's true. Um, I mean, I, so yeah, no, that's important. Uh, I, I think we can all agree that Disarm was a track that was purpose built for the skippable track era. Um, Although it was the biggest hit. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Yeah. What, Unfortunately, one, not skippable in my life. The, yeah, exactly. And not skippable on the radio where it still plays more than any of their other well, that songs. Was a, um, but the one, the other thing I was going to mention was just uh, to your point about Gish. Oddly enough, that was actually the first Pumpkins album that I had. So. Um, and I don't know why exactly. I think it was probably the only one that was like left on the sales rack at Best Buy or something. Um, and you know, it was that kind of weird, um, sort of, I knew the band was supposed to be important. So I like got the one that nobody else bought. Um, and, uh, I really liked it. I mean, I think it's, I think, yeah, he struck gold, but, uh, but it, it is odd. I mean, it's like, it's hard for bands, I think, to, to go from a sort of harder sound to a much softer sound or, or more orchestral, um, like, uh, in a, in its own weird way, I actually think that the Pumpkins sort of like and Metallica have an odd parallel in that respect. Like, obviously, very different types of bands, but like you know, it, there was a there there are moments where like the Pumpkins try to imitate like like the Decemberists, and it's weird. Um, no, actually, not that different when you think. I yeah. actually really like that parallel. I'd never thought about it, but it's really actually very uh, you know I think very pertinent. Um, I think you know. Two bad lyricists. Yeah. Um, two bands that rocked like crazy and really? then softened up and, and, you know, got much wider appeal, but, but we're, le- we're lesser bands as a result. I, uh, Do you ever feel like Blaine Corgan didn't know James. what his best stuff was? Yes. That's a guy frequently. that I feel like, yeah, especially later, he just seemed to make the same song over and over again. It wasn't the good one, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah like... I, don't, I don't know why he lost track of that, but I think his ambition got the better of him. I think he's actually a really good musician, which is why he's a terrible lyricist. And um, I think, you know, he really did lose sight of, of, you know, what was an enjoyable experience. You know, he got much more into the sort of production and arrangement piece and less into the, you know, rock and roll piece. Well, so I think, so let's, let's try and wrap this up. Wyndham, do you have a, do you have a verdict on these guys on um, who you think has made a better case for the album? If it's, if it's possible to do that? Um, I would say that uh, if I were listening to you, I would say it was uh, nothing shocking. And if I was looking at Jeremy, it would be <laughs> Simon's dream. So I think you both defeated your own purpose. And um, you know, as a result, I'm going to call it a draw. So, uh, so the ultimate cop out. Actually, um, I, you know, uh, going back, I am happy that this conversation came up because I do have a, a renewed appreciation for Siamese Dream, whereas nothing shocking has never gone away for me. So, thank you for bringing uh, Siamese Dream back because I actually for, really for picking this petty it. fight. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, picking this <laughs> petty fight. It's actually, you know, I think probably, a, you know. Construction-wise, a better album, but at the same time, I think um, Nothing Shocking has a lot more feel to it, and, um, you know, Siamese Dream is a lot more uh, uh, polish and perfection to it, so. All right. Sounds good. Sounds like I won. Should we uh, take a break? I think we can both walk away and say that. Yeah, let's take a break and come back.
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, we are going to end tonight's pod with uh, two segments that we end every pod with uh, now, which is um, we're going to add a couple songs to our never-ending playlist, which is our um, uh, our top ten, our, what is it, the uh, ten... The hundred ten greatest songs of all time. The hundred ten greatest songs of all time. We really need to take a math class. Yeah, this is, this is it. Got math, Lexia. Um, the hundred ten best songs of all time. So, what are you adding to the list today? Uh, I'm gonna stay in in the '80s and in, in 1988, since we were talking about it. And I'm gonna add uh, "Bone Machine" by the Pixies. It's uh, one of my favorite opening tracks and uh, a song that really changed how I listen and, and what I like as far as music goes. Great, Christian. Uh, I'm going to add uh, the song Desire by Dilly Dally. Um, this is a great band uh, from, from Toronto who uh, we actually saw in LA last year. Um, and uh, I think they put out a, a really awesome album called Soar, um, that, uh, called Soar, I suppose, but it's actually Soar, like S O R E. But yeah, anyway, I loved it. Um, and that's the, uh, that's the first track on that album. I think it's, I think it's killer. And I'm going to go in the Wayback Machine and uh, apropos of nothing we've talked about today and go with uh, Needle in the Camel's Eye by Brian Eno. Uh, one of the great songs of all time and I'm not going to say any more about it. Just listen to the 110 uh, best songs of all time which is a, uh, an allusion to the argument you make when you're drunk and want to talk about music. Anyway, um, what are you listening to? That is how we end every episode. And Christian, what are you listening to? So um, it, while, while I may be uh, admitting that my credentials or my, this may be like a, a big hit to my street cred on uh, talking about music, but I'm actually just starting Please Kill Me, um, the Legs McNeil uh, oral history of, of punk rock um, and uh, not something I've ever read before. So I'm pretty excited about that. I was actually just in Christian's apartment. He has two copies of this thing that he hasn't read. So I, I was curious how that came about. But um Chris, uh, Jeremy, what are you listening to? Um, so I have been uh, crazy busy lately, and uh, I listened to your guys' last podcast on, on Oasis, the Brother Brother pod on the Oasis film, and fired that up last night, and I enjoyed it very much. So that's that's what I did. I haven't had a lot of time outside of uh, myself to kind of watch or read something that I wasn't work-related, and, and I loved it. So thanks Jeremy's. for the great podcast. And, uh it was a fun movie. Jeremy is slowly devolving into the brother, brother, brother echo chamber that is uh, that exists <laughs> in the American media. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny because I've been listening to a lot of Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction. Of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, for what have I been listening to, I'm going to cop out and use a movie because I, I um, uh, rewatched. Um, there's a couple of movies I watch every year. 
um, at least once a year, and this is one of them, and it was the Manchurian Candidate. Um, it is uh, particularly appropriate currently, but um, I have been watching it every year since I saw it for the first time in 1988 when it was released in movie theaters after it had been banned in 63 after the Kennedy assassination, and I implore everybody to watch it because it's a great movie. Um, it joins the list of, of movies that I watch once a year with... Um, being there, Network, Jaws, which I watch about once a month, and uh, a few others. But anyway, Manchurian Candidate. And with that, um, I will uh, we'll sign off, I think. Sounds good. I'll catch you guys next week. See ya. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damien Kendall for producing and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian. See you next time.